This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter number 28. And we'll begin reading in verse number 18. Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18. The Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." I'd like for you to go with me to the Gospel according to Mark in the 16th chapter, Mark chapter number 16. And verse number 15, Mark 16 and verse number 15. And the Bible says, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then I'd like for you to go with me to the, God, or to the book of Acts, rather. Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. We'll read verses 1 through 8. Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 8. The Bible tells us as this... Book begins, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. The human penman of this uh, wonderful book is Luke, and he is writing uh, this uh, book to a gentleman named Theophilus. And the former treatise uh, that he is referencing is uh, the gospel according to Luke. And uh, as he begins to speak throughout this book, he is revealing to us the rest of the story. And uh, the story of redemption continues, right? And uh, we're thankful for that. And so he said in verse number one, he, he spoke of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. 
And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? In other words, God, what's the plan now? Lord Jesus, now that you've arisen and shown yourself victorious, what is the plan? Verse 7, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So here we find that the risen Savior met together. The Bible says they were assembled together. And uh, as he met with them and as he spoke to them, the Bible says he was taken up into the heavens. And can you imagine that moment being with a risen Savior, being with the Lord Jesus in his presence, the glorified Savior? And uh, here he is speaking to them, and then he is received up into the heavens. Can you imagine a better time at church with God's people than that? What a glorious, what a glorious day that must have been. And then we see the response uh, of the men. They, they stood there and they were gazing up into the heavens. And there were two men who stood by them in white apparel. And they had a question for them. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. Then the Bible tells us in verse number 12, then returned they unto Jerusalem. I think about our Sundays here at Tabernacle when, when God's people meet together, when we sing and, and when we fellowship and we encourage one another. When we, when we come together, uh, those are special, special moments in the week. I hope you enjoy coming to church. If you don't, you're missing it. You're missing it. I, I look forward to Sunday. I look forward to these times. I, I, I'm not in a hurry, as you've noted to already. I, I'm, I'm not in a hurry to get it over with. I enjoy it. I, I look out each Sunday in this congregation, and, and I know who's here, and I know who's not here, and I'm glad that you're here today. I'm also wondering in my mind, where, where are those who aren't here? Especially when I notice that they're gone for what seems to me to be a prolonged time. 
Are there, is there sickness? Is there a problem? Are, are people growing cold and indifferent? Is, you know, all of those things occupy the thoughts and mind of the preacher. And I, I hope you're concerned when people aren't here. You know, it's just not the same when everybody's not here, is it? My wife and I are finding it more and more difficult as our kids get older to, to do things together as a family. And uh, we were talking about one of our just si simple little thing that we enjoy uh, sometimes is we'll, we'll go to Cracker Barrel and have breakfast together as a family. And there have been times we've thought, well, let's do that next week. And then my wife remembers that somebody in the family has to work and won't be able to go. And that sort of takes all the air out of her balloon because she likes for everybody to be together. You know, there's just something about it when God's people come together. And, and, and it's, it's just a blessing when we're here. And, and it's normal for us to be a little bit concerned and, and to feel a little bit uh, like it's incomplete when everybody's not here. I found out in 10 years that's probably never going to happen when we're all going to be here at one time together. But I'll tell you this, it's never going to happen again where this crowd is going to be together just as we are today. It's a special time that we're here together. It's a special time, most importantly, because the Lord is with us. Another thing I believe God has taught me over the years is it really doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. It's important that people are here and, and you consider who's here and who's not. But the most important person to consider is if the Lord is here. Is the Lord here? Is the Lord's presence among us? And, and I want to tell you, God has blessed us and we've had the most wonderful days. Uh, it, it is refreshing to meet together with God's people. It, it is stirring to meet together. It is encouraging and and and. and I enjoy the meetings of the church, just as these disciples enjoyed spending that time in the presence of the risen Savior. But eventually, Sunday night, prayer dismissal comes, and we all go home. And the, the Lord's day has come to an end. The worship services of the Tabernacle Baptist Church have concluded for the day and we go home and uh, we're refreshed and we look forward not always to the week ahead but we're thankful for the blessings of God when we come together on the Lord's day but I want you to know that our worship is not over when we say amen on Sunday night because the worship of God's people is something that must be a 24-7 activity. You see, we don't just simply come here to worship God, although we do assemble together as God's people to worship Him. But God is not confined to this assembly. God is not confined to this structure. God no longer dwells in a tabernacle in the wilderness or in a temple in Jerusalem, I want you to know where he dwells. He dwells within the heart of every believer. Amen. And I want you to know that if we believe that God is worthy of worship, he's not only worthy of worship for a few hours on the Lord's day, 
He is worthy of our worship every day. He dwells within our hearts. And so may God help us as a church to understand uh, what I want to bring to you as the last essential element in our worship. And that is going. Going. Uh, We've looked at uh, the essential elements of worship. What it means for us to worship together. Uh, We've looked at the fact that we assemble or assembling. Uh, we, We looked at the element of prayer and praying and singing, giving, serving, preaching. These are all things that we do when we meet together. And the last thing that I want to speak to you about is going. Because in the worship life of the believer and the worship life of the church, our worship does not end. We, we do not separate Sunday from the rest of our lives. We, we do not compartmentalize our lives and say, on Sunday I go to church and do my church thing, and on Monday through Saturday I do my work thing, or I do my family thing, or I do my thing. No, we belong to God. He dwells within us, and our worship of Him spills into every aspect of our lives. And so when we leave this place, there's something that God has given us to do. And as we are obedient to him, then we worship and glorify him. And so I want you to go back with me to Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28. And uh, verse number uh, 18, Matthew 28. Excuse my voice today. Matthew chapter 28 and uh, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Notice the next word. Say it with me, verse 19. Would you please? Go. Let's say it again together. Go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The church today says, come. Jesus says to the church, go. We say, come. Why don't you all come to the meeting? Come to the Sunday school class. Come to the couple's banquet. Jesus says, go. Go. He is sending his believers into a world that is filled with darkness and iniquity that needs the glorious light of the gospel. And if the light is to be shined, it can only be shined by those who hold it in their hearts. And so Jesus said, go. Now, as we go, what are we to do? This this, uh, command involves three things. First of all, it involves evangelism. It it involves evangelism. Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That means we're to get the gospel out. Jesus uh, said in Mark 16 in verse 15, go ye therefore and uh, preach the gospel to all nations. We are to get the message of the gospel Uh, to a lost world. Now, what is the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel involves three elements, the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. By the way, the word gospel just simply means good news. And so when we give the gospel, we share the good news with a hopeless world. We say the death of Christ took place on your behalf. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to. You see, the Bible teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us, <coughs> again, excuse me. <coughs> the Bible teaches us that we're all sinners. And the wages of sin is death. And sinners are condemned to die in the presence of a holy God. But God in love sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. He died in our place. He died on our behalf. And he was buried. And then on the third day, he rose again. He rose again to impart everlasting life to all who will believe. And you and I can receive that life when we put our faith and trust and our belief in the Lord Jesus. That's the message of evangelism. That's what's involved in this going. A second component of this going is baptism of believers. As people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and they want to be obedient to him, then they follow him in believers' baptism. Baptism does not bring salvation to any person. You are not saved by the waters of baptism. You are saved by faith in Christ. The shed blood of Christ atones for our sin. The waters of baptism symbolize in a public way what Christ has done inwardly in our lives. And so when we enter into the waters of baptism, we enter into those waters as a believer in Christ, giving a public testimony that we are believers. And we, uh, we are lowered down into the water and uh, submerged under the water, and then we come up out of the water. And all of those things picture for us what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and in his resurrection. The Lord Jesus Christ went down into the watery grave of death. He died for us. He was buried and then he arose again in victory to give life to all who will believe. And so by baptism, we identify with the Lord Jesus that he, uh, we, have, uh, we have trusted him as our Savior. And so baptism for believers. So this going involves evangelism and baptism. And while baptism is not necessary for salvation, it is a necessary command for a dedicated believer who will follow the Lord and who will become a part of his local New Testament church. And so going involves evangelism, baptism, and then notice the third thing. It involves teaching them. Who are, who are the them? That's all who have believed and have followed Christ in baptism. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so this going involves evangelism. It involves baptism of converts 
But it also involves the teaching of the Word of God. You know, we have a discipleship program. I want to tell you when we operate our discipleship program, we operate it on Sunday morning in Sunday school. And I want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a Bible teaching Sunday school class, make sure you get in one. You'll be helped. You'll be instructed. You'll learn more about God's word. Make the Bible a priority. Find out what God said you ought to do. Uh, find out what the Lord has revealed in his word. Don't walk through life listening to the pundits and the uh, secularists of this world trying to tell you how to live your life. Listen to the one who created life, the one who uh, is the author of life. Listen to Jesus. And the way to listen is to get in his word. Uh, we, we continue that program on Sunday morning uh, when we worship together, when we meet together at 1045. We'll, we'll continue it again tonight at 6 o'clock and then on Wednesday evening when we meet together. You see, what this church exists to do is to go. To evangelize those who do not know the Lord Jesus, to give them the message of the gospel. To baptize believers and to teach believers to be obedient to Christ. Because when they are, uh, they will experience and enjoy the blessings of God in a far greater way. This is what God has given us to do. And this does not take place simply on Sunday, although it does begin for us in the week on Sunday. <coughs> but it continues and it carries out through every phase of our lives. So our worship of him is not just limited to some public meetings of an assembly. Our worship of him is seen every day and in every area of our lives. I had the pleasure to be at the Lancaster Baptist Church this week and our boys were there and the pastor was preaching and he related a story that he had gone to China on a trip and they were trying to witness to people in China handing out gospel tracts and they were quickly told by the authorities, you cannot do that. They found a, a Chinese tour guide who spoke English. And finally there was somebody there they could talk to. And they were speaking to this woman about the Lord, communicating to her what they believe about the Lord Jesus and what he had done for her. With the hopes and desire that this woman would hear the gospel and be saved. The pastor told us that as he shared the gospel with this woman, she made this statement. If you believe that God sent his son to die for you in order to give you eternal life, then how do you worship him? What an interesting question. Here is a lady who did not know the Lord Jesus and she heard the message of the gospel. She heard about a God who loves all people. <clears throat> she heard about a God who sent his son to die on the cross 
for those people so that they might receive everlasting life. And when she heard about that God, her mind was amazed and filled with wonder to the point she said, if you really believe that, then tell me how do you worship him? I think what she intended to say by that is, if that God did that for you, then what are you doing for him? That was a powerfully convicting question. When I heard him repeat that question, I immediately wrote it down because I thought about my own life. If I really believe in a God that good and that great that he would send his son to die for me, then how is it that I am worshiping him? What am I doing to show him my love and adoration? I think that's a good question. And by the way, it's one we're all going to be confronted with when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. What did you do with the opportunity that I gave you? What did you do with the knowledge that I gave you? You see, our God is worthy of our worship, is he not? And we are called to worship him. And this worship is not simply, as I said a moment ago, confined to the activities of a public meeting. This worship is to permeate every part of our lives. And the Lord Jesus said, you can't just, the angel said, you can't just stand here gazing up into the heavens, basking in the glory of this meeting. You've got to get out and get to work. And so they returned and they waited and the Holy Spirit empowered them and they went forward preaching the gospel. Going is a part of our worship. So when we leave this morning, the worship's not over. In many ways, it's just begun. I want to share with you some things concerning going and our worship of him in this going. I hope you'll write them down. Number one, going is an act of obedience. We call these passages that I read to you earlier, we call them the Great Commission. It is the Lord's marching orders to his church. Luke said it was all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And what he began to do and to teach continues today. Not through his physical body on this earth, but through his spiritual body, his church. And by the way, the members of the spiritual body have a physical body. And they can employ that physical body in carrying out the work that he gave us to do. You see, the work of redemption, the work of Christ is not finished. It involves us going and Jesus gives us this command and that is exactly what it is. It is a command that his believers would go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so I want to say this to you that going is an act of obedience. And not going is an act of disobedience. 
Going is an act of obedience. Not going is an act of disobedience. And I wonder, where do we find ourselves today? In obedience to Christ or in disobedience? I hear that woman's question in my mind, don't you? If you believe in a God who loved you so much, what do you do to worship him? Well, he told us what to do. He said, go. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I imagine if he spoke to us today, he would say that, right? By the way, he is speaking to us today. You see, his word is everlasting. It's eternal. It's just as good today as it was then. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You see, we seem to have a desire to get just enough of Jesus to get us into heaven. And that's it. But it doesn't work that way, friend. It doesn't work that way. If you believe that he's the son of God who died for you, if you believe that you must put your faith and trust in him to get to heaven, then you need to know he is the sovereign God of this universe. He's not just your savior. He is your Lord. That means he's in control. And if you truly love him and you truly want to worship him, then you will obey him. And Jesus said, if you don't do what I say, How can you call me Lord? In Acts chapter 5 and verse 27, they commanded Peter and John and uh, the disciples to quit preaching the gospel. They arrested them and brought them in. And the Bible says that uh, Peter asked them uh, this question. uh, Ought we to obey God rather than men, or ought we to obey men rather than God? You see, we have to decide who's in control of our lives, who is in charge. And by the way, most people have decided that they are in charge of their own lives. That was Adam and Eve's problem. That's the problem of all people. And we ought to obey God. We must be aware of Christ's command. We must be conscious of lost souls and we must decide to follow Christ. And let me tell you what he will do with us. He will make us fishers of men. Going is an act of obedience. Number two, going requires effort. Going requires effort. I mean, you gotta get up and go if you're gonna go. It requires effort. I want you to think of the effort that Jesus gave to redeem us from our sin. To live the life he lived. To die for us. Going requires effort. If we're going to get the gospel to people, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some work. I want you to know, you you don't just hang out a sign out on the road and say, y'all come and expect people to come. It's not going to happen. What do you think people think about when they drive by here? Well, there's a church with a group of people. Wonder if I'd be welcome there. I don't know anybody there. I don't think I'd ever go to a place like that. Well, how in the world is is that going to change? 
The only way it's going to change is when the people inside this place get out in this community and tell those people about the Lord who saved them and about the Lord who is proclaimed in this place and how God wants to work in their lives and how that they can be helped and encouraged and instructed in this place. If that doesn't happen, they're not going to come. You see, going requires effort. You know, here's, the, here's what we need to do to exert this effort. Number one, we need to pray. We need to plan. We need to prepare. And we need to persist. We need to pray that God would work. We need to prepare our hearts to go. Uh, I wonder how many of us have a place in our car, in our, in our book bag, in our purse, uh, where we keep gospel literature. I, I wonder if we keep them in our, in our coat pocket. Where do we keep our gospel literature? Or, or do, where do we keep our gospel presentation? Is it in the forefront of our mind? Or is it somewhere back there years ago and we've sort of forgotten it and we no longer know exactly how to share the message of the gospel? We need to prepare. We need to prepare. And, and we need to persist. We need to get out there. We need to keep striving to get the message of the gospel out. And if someone doesn't receive it, then we have to go forward to the next person. And then to the next person. Because the Bible said we're to preach the gospel to every creature. I want to ask you, has every creature in Hickory heard the gospel? I don't think so. I don't think so. Going requires effort. Number three, going ensures us of his presence. Going ensures us of his presence. Now, I know that the Lord is present with us. If we belong to him, he dwells within us. But what a wonderful promise the Lord gives us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20. Would you look at the last half of verse number 20? Jesus has told them here to go. He's told them to baptize and he's told them to teach. And then notice what he says in verse 20. And lo, would you read the rest of this with me? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. <laughs> oh, listen, friend, I want to tell you what Jesus said. When you go, I want you to know you don't have to go alone. I'm going with you. In Mark chapter 16, the Bible speaks of the Lord working with them. What a wonderful promise to know that God is with us. And when we as a church worship the Lord in going, I want you to know that he's made a promise to us that he is with us. He is with us. I want to tell you, friend, if he is at work and he is with us, Jesus cannot fail. He cannot fail. He is with me. I don't like to go anywhere by myself. That's the truth. Uh, I told Mr. Hickman if I had to go to California, he had to go with me. And uh, I said, I just don't want to go by myself. Uh, I, I, I just didn't want to go. My wife didn't go with me. I wasn't happy. I need a whole entourage to go with me. And uh, I said, honey, I don't want to go if you don't go. And she said, there's no way I'm going. <laughs> and she didn't. I just don't like to go without her. 
I don't like to be without her. I don't like to be alone. I'm glad I don't have to go this alone. Jesus is with me. You know, when you give that gospel track and you're trembling and nervous and afraid you're going to offend somebody, you don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get, you don't know exactly what to say, and, and you're, just, you're just trying to figure out a way to do it, let me tell you something. You're not doing it alone. He's with you. What a precious thing. And I want to tell you that as long as this church is actively engaged and employed in the work of evangelism, may I tell you that God will not leave us. I don't want to go through life without the Lord. I don't want to have church without God's hand of blessing. I don't want to come to a meeting without his presence among us and if we'll be involved in this going I want you to know that he will be with us always even unto the end of the world going ensures us of his presence number four going requires partnership going requires partnership not only do I have the Lord with me but I have you with me The Lord sent them two by two into the villages. Paul, when he went on his missionary journey, went with Silas and a group of men. That's God's way. You see, going requires partnership. God has called us together as a church family. And he has commissioned us together to go into our community it begins in our community in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under the uttermost part of the earth. That's our responsibility. Does it, ever, does it ever occur to you that we are responsible under God for the evangelism of Hickory, North Carolina? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You say, well, there are all kinds of churches out here. Yes, there are. But I'm not, I'm not concerned about those churches. I'm thankful for the ones who are preaching the truth. I'm encouraged by that. But I also know there are others who aren't. And so I, I have to exist with the command of Christ upon me. And I have to say, it's our responsibility to get the gospel to this community. It's our responsibility. And I, I don't have to do it alone, neither do you. We have partners. We go together. Believers go. They go together. They go belonging to the Lord and to one another. And believers go together supported by and accountable to one another. We sort of live in this convenient age where people don't like the word accountability. People just want to pop in and pop out, fit Jesus in where it fits in their schedule. Live their life basically essentially any way they wish to without any issue. We're accountable to God and we're accountable to one another. And so going requires partnership. Number five, going requires power. Jesus said, wait. <laughs> Wait for the promise of the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 came uh, to dwell among them, there was some mighty power unleashed. And when they prayed, 
for power. God gave them power. Uh, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me, Acts chapter number 4, that as they prayed, they were threatened. No more witnessing, fellas. Stop it. <laughs> Acts chapter 4. And so they prayed in verse 29. And now, Lord, Acts 4 and verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word by stretching forth thine hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Listen, don't mistake boldness for rudeness. Don't, don't, don't mistake boldness for hatefulness. These are people who are filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with love, and they're unashamingly speaking the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And when they did it, they did it with power. Now let me tell you two sources of power you have. Number one, you have the power of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, that's the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Can I tell you that it is the message of the gospel that can save the soul from hell? It is that wonderful, glorious power that you and I have when we share that message. Then we have the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, friend, I want to tell you, there's no power on earth. There, there's no movement on earth. Listen, I, I get so overcome and in despair when I see all that's going on in this world and I see the enmity and the strife against God's people. Make no mistake about it. We're not experiencing a political revolution in this nation. We are seeing a moral revolution in this nation. And that moral revolution is a revolution against God and God's word. It's, it's masked in political activism. But it's enmity against God. And when I see it, I can get so discouraged and disheartened by it. And so can you. But I want to tell you, friend, we have the power that is greater than any power this world will ever know. It is the power of the Holy Ghost. It is the power of the gospel. It is the power of Jesus. And when we go, we must go in that power and we possess that power as we draw upon it. Number six, Going draws upon the promises of God. Going draws upon, maybe a better word there is appropriates, the promises of God. That, that's what going does. Uh, when I go, I'm trusting God that what he said is true, that if I give the message of the gospel, whether they believe it or whether they reject it, God said his word will not return void. You know, it's not my job to be a soil tester. You know, it's my job to be a seed sower. Sometimes we look at people and say, well, that, there's no use talking to them. They won't believe. I sat down on an airplane the other day with a boy 23 years old. 
I had already sort of formed an opinion about this young man. And I got to talking to him. I found out he went to a Christian college in California. I think God, God scheduled that conversation between he and I. The boy professed to be a believer. But here's the point. The point is I had shaped an opinion about that young man. And when I got to talking to him, I found that what I thought about him was not true. Look, we're, that's our problem. We try to figure this thing out too much. Just get the message out. Just get the message out. And when we do that, we draw upon the promises of God. God said his word will not return void. Here's number seven. Going encounters resistance. It's not easy. Have you figured that out? You know, you know why it's not easy? Because you've got three, three major obstacles. Number one, the world. Number two, your flesh. Number three, the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil resist you going and giving the gospel. Well, what will people think of me? That's the flesh. That's resistance. Well, what if, what if they get mad at me? That's the flesh. That's the world. That's resistance. Well, I went before and nobody ever believed and, and it didn't work out too good. Oh, listen, friend, that's the world, the flesh and the devil. Those three work in concert together to resist the message of the gospel. Satan uses a lot of tools. In Nehemiah, he used the tool of derision. <coughs> when they built that wall, Sam Ballot and Tobiah got around and laughed and mocked and scorned. You know, nobody likes to be ridiculed. Nobody likes that. Nothing makes your blood boil quicker than when you're ridiculed. He used derision. He uses doubt. He uses discouragement. He uses distraction. He uses disillusionment. He uses division. And he uses deception. The gospel message is always resisted. And the gospel messenger is always resisted. But we must go. To worship him. Let me give the last thing. Number eight. Going yields great reward. Going yields great reward. Growing up as a kid and going to my grandparents' house often in the summer a lot. Staying with them days at a time. We had a lot of garden suppers. You guys ever had a garden supper? I didn't like garden suppers when I was a kid. I'd pay $100 for a garden supper today. Some of you are going, all right, I'm going to have one. See if he pays up. Fresh sliced tomatoes. Corn on the cob. You just shucked it and silked it. You boil it. You're eating it. Okra. I mean, just a whole plethora of things that you got out of the garden. I'd love to have a garden supper again. My mind is filled with memories. I'm going to get one again. With those wonderful people. 
that I love and miss, I'm going to experience that again because somebody went. Somebody was willing to go. There were two men in Detroit, Michigan who came to my home. They made an effort. They knocked on the door. Mr. Hooks, can we come in? We'd like to talk to you about Jesus. My dad sitting there in the living room heard the message of the gospel. They invited him to pray and receive the Lord Jesus as his savior and he did that. He got saved. I saw him baptized. You all know that a few years ago he was diagnosed with cancer. They initially said, you could live up to 10 years with this, Mr. Hooks. He didn't quite make it three. He died before I ever thought he would. Those grandparents that made that meal for me, that let me enjoy that garden supper. (laughs) My grandfather, 79 years old, had washed the dishes for my grandmother who had bone cancer. He went into the bathroom, walked through the bedroom to go back in to watch the 11 o'clock news, and he never made it. He hit the floor, and he was gone. He was gone. I ran to the house, drove to the house, and got in there to the home, and I saw his body lying on the floor. You've heard me tell the story. And I kneeled down beside his body with every emotion. Ready to burst out of me. And then the peace of God that passeth all understanding kept my heart and mind, flooded my soul because I knew that Ralph Haney was in heaven. He was with Jesus. A man who was a drunkard in the Marion jail got saved in the Marion jail. They drove him to the edge of the county and said, Mr. Haney, don't ever come back here. He went to Detroit, Michigan, married my grandmother. My dad, who had that dreadful disease, died, but he didn't die. He went to heaven. I'm going to see him again. I'm going to see my grandparents again. I'm going to see some wonderful people. that I've known and loved again.
Because somebody went. You see, that garden supper was glorious. But it never would have happened had somebody not went out there in the spring and put a blade to the ground and tilled that soil. It never would have happened had somebody not did some back-breaking work hours at a time, stooping over, putting those seeds carefully in the ground. It never would have happened. It never would have happened had somebody not gone out and plucked those weeds up. It never would have happened. Had God not sent the rain, it never would have happened. But because all of those things happened, we were able to enjoy the wonderful bounty. And I want to tell you, friend, he that goeth forth, weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Oh, it's going to be a great time we get to heaven. You know what? You're not going to regret any two hours that you spent knocking doors. You're not going to grumble and complain about the fact nobody else showed up for visitation but you. You're never going to complain that people slammed the door in your face and made fun of you because you told them about Jesus. I tell you what you're going to do. You're going to enjoy being with those who put their faith and trust in Christ. And they're going to say, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for going. It's going to be a glorious time. That's the reward. And that's why we go. And may God help us to go. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.